0: chaos comes, it's a chance to be initiated.
1: You know, thinking that the United States and its ideas in church have come closest to reflecting reality is like thinking Iceland is the basketball capital of the world.
2: It's actually a psychological disorder. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. When a man becomes who he was made to be by God, Every day is adventure. Hey guys, welcome back to the Incense Podcast. Sam and Blaine here this week, and we had the pleasure of sitting down with Jan Myers Proett, who is an author and a counselor practicing here in Colorado. Jan has spent her life listening to other stories, responding to them, offering hope and curiosity and it was a lot of fun to get to sit down and kind of pick her brain on how we can do that better. This is one of those episodes where I actually wish our video were ready uh, because actually
1: sitting with Jan and the way that she looks at you as you're talking, the way that she's actually... So much eye contact. Oh my gosh. Deeply engaging the conversation was very educational And this conversation goes all over into the nature of hope in our moment in the story God is telling, what to listen for as a person is sharing with you, uh, how to keep your own heart and attention alive as you engage people. Massive takeaways here. And I know that you'll actually just enjoy Jan herself.
2: Jan, it is really good to see your face and it feels like it's been a decade plus, Um, but I'm really excited about today's conversation about our own stories, other people's stories. I kind of want to begin there like that. This is an arena that you've spent your life in counseling, listening to others tell their story, uh, just as a, at the outset, what drew you to that? What has made you able to continue doing that?
0: So the first thing that comes to my mind are, um, several things that come to my mind are, moments in swaziland in southern africa when i would be sitting with a woman or a, a younger uh, teenage girl who had pulled me aside into a corner of a room somewhere where they just started bringing their life to me and i was maybe 22 23 years old And I felt so privileged and so honored and so frozen and so paralyzed. Um, But they kept coming. And this was in a context where I was in Southern Africa to bring, you know, quote unquote, to bring um, the kingdom of God to, I was a missionary there, an evangelical missionary. And I would find that I'd sit in these Conferences. They were church growth conferences. And my heart would just feel flatter than flat, um, knowing way down deep inside. And I didn't have language for it necessarily then, but I just knew that what was being offered was completely missing the heartbeat of the people we were there to serve and mm-hmm. who had invited us to come.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I would be in that room where my heart was falling flat and then women would come and pull me aside and in that space person to person there would just be electricity um, there was a, a racing heart because I didn't know what to do but there was a an earnestness a thirst a um, desperation uh, a sense of two people holding their hands up going uh, <laughs> I don't know, but let's find out, hmm. right? I don't know, but let's explore. Um, let's learn together. I don't know. Let's go find out. So um, that comes to my mind, which is a little wild. I haven't thought about that in a long, long time. Yeah. Um, I think that originally um, my training in learning how to walk with and enter another person's story actually came in the very heart of my own wounding, um, needing to navigate my mom's mental illness. And her. she was a deeply, deeply troubled, beautiful woman, deeply troubled. And I was just drawn into um, being asked, required, circumstantially, but also by her to have to navigate Um, one-on-one on on a couch like this. um, She relied and depended on me in ways that should have never happened, um, crushed the heart of a little girl. But I was trained on Mm. how to have um, watchful eyes when her countenance would change. Again, it's that sense of desperation. I didn't know where to go. And in a really odd way, I was actually led by God into the very regions of her heart while I know that God's heart was literally breaking as well for me. Mm. So you can hear it. it, There's a lot of complexity to the things that have brought me into the realm of stories. Right. Um, It's a very complicated, confusing place for me, even to this day.
1: So.
2: Wow.
0: How's that?
1: It's fantastic. (laughs) It
2: feels very real. Good. It is. It is.
1: I know this was a long time ago, but I'm so struck by your response to these women who are bringing you their stories with, I don't know, but let's find out or let's explore. What do you remember about what you were thinking that or feeling that allowed you to respond with a, let's explore instead of how do I escape?
0: How do I escape or how do I teach you, Yeah, right? How do I instruct you on how to make things well? Um, honestly, I think it was just the look, the look in a, in their eyes. You know, I can still remember that it's just a pleading and an earnest desire to want to somehow be free. Um, hunger, thirst in a person's eyes.
2: Yeah. Uh, so a couple of thoughts here. One of them is, um, there's a ability that you have already named to not feel disqualified by things going wrong in your past. Like it's mm-hmm. that moment with your mom that it, it is broken. It is, mm-hmm. it could be, um, I think uh, an excuse not to do it again, to be like, well, oh, that's going to be bringing up that young girl. Every time I sit down and have a conversation with someone now. Right. And so I, how do you, how did you move past or how did you hold, rather, that that wounded part of you as you were going to be using the gift that came with it? Like you, That's going to happen over and over again. And yeah. the other half of that question is, how has that been sustainable for years?
0: For, t- for 26 years? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was talking with you guys before uh, we started today, and I come into this conversation having just been in the West Elk wilderness. And I found myself as I was preparing to come here today, all I wanna talk about today is wildflowers and symphony of frogs and um, just the granite peaks and how much snow is in the high country. And there, there's something about having been out where my little girl heart, the, those are the things that saved me when I was a kid. Um, Each one of those things I just mentioned are things that were magic for me when I was a little girl. So I would be um, holding up my mother's pain and then I would go outside and I would be literally held by creation, mothered by um, the sounds of the earth. The Holy Spirit met me in the sanctuary of the rocks above the Rio Grande. So I know that it would never be sustainable if i didn't constantly have forays into constant access to the wild things of life mm. and a chance to explore in a childlike way right i i can't come into a conversation about dealing with people's stories without like the the good answers come from a, that place the good answers come from a childlike place for me mm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that
2: was it something that you always knew you needed or has this been something that's grown and you've been better at practicing?
0: No, it was completely intuitive. I just knew, I think God just literally constantly nudged me, invited me. I just, I always went there. I I still do. Mm,
1: That's so good. It's such a gift. I'm wondering for those of us for whom receiving the mothering and comfort of God in that way is not as intuitive. What postures help um, you to receive comfort from beauty instead of, say, I mean, missing it or, like, it sounds like your heart is open in a unique way to receive the attention of God in creation. Yeah, What helps you do that?
0: Um, when you say postures, to say more about that. Well,
1: it seems like there's a way of engaging beauty, a way of like responding with your attention or a way of maybe remembering that God is present in his
2: earth. Yeah, yeah. You, you've named the frogs and the wildflowers. Like I can go on a walk and I can miss those.
0: Yeah, well, I can too.
2: <laughs> okay, good.
0: Yeah, no, and I, and when when I miss them, I'm generally ruminating about... Um, How am I supposed to be navigating people's heavy lives or things in my family, right? The heavier situations that I can just take on and presume that I'm supposed to know how to navigate them. That's when I miss the beauty because that's exactly what happened in my own wounding, right? I had to figure it out. So when, when I get lost, when I dissociate into this heavy place of, I've got to figure it out. That's, that's my first clue. Um, that's my very first clue is that's, Oh, I'm, I have lost my sparkle. I've lost my, I've lost the magic of the little girl. Where'd she go? And so these days that, that looks like me wandering out into my vegetable garden, you know, making sure that that's where I go first before anything else. I just go there. Or when it's freezing, I'd go put on my snowshoes and make sure I get out before I do anything else. So, but that's me, right? I don't know what it might be for, for any other person, but it's got to be a place where you've got to go to a place where you feel that you can access the innocence, um, the lightheartedness of, Knowing that you are well and loved, and then when you're with a person, um, you can explore with them instead of have, having to come up with anything on their behalf.
2: Okay, so in my life, in hearing other people's stories, like this, this feels like it's happening more and more. And I don't know if that's a culture that's used to oversharing online or what, but it does feel like I am hearing more stories without asking to people are more walking around with their, their heart open and there are still some people that are very guarded, but for the most part I feel like I've been experiencing more without looking for it. Yeah. And I typically have two poles, which I know are not correct, but they feel like the, the two things I should do. The first thing is I want to give them some pithy, solved answer as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Like that I need to give them the tweet. I have a certain amount of characters. I have like a little window and I need to like just drop it on them. And that doesn't feel kind or right or even honoring the whole, the whole scenario probably shouldn't be happening in the first place. Yeah. Um,
0: But it's where we are.
2: Right. So that feels the first pull to like, give them an answer or a solution and do it quickly.
0: Uh-huh.
2: The second poll is after the conversation is ended, I feel responsible to carry them or to carry some part of their story. Right. Typically, the really heavy stuff, like if somebody shares something traumatic from their past or present, it's difficult to offload that. Um, it, can, it feels like it can take me a day, days, weeks, and I'll like, come back to them and be like, I just, I'm clearly carrying this person and I know I shouldn't be, uh-huh. but it feels almost inevitable if I'm not doing something else. So for the person who right now is me in this story, who's going to have that kind of set interaction with somebody who's just offloading their heart on me, vomiting their story, typically over 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. What, what, what advice would you give that person? How would you coach them to either avoid those two things? I feel like I hit, or maybe we even stop the conversation from happening if it's not an appropriate setting, like what would you do differently? Sam, I'm going to answer your question. Oh, oh great.
1: I'll Drop just say what I, I'll just say what I do. <laughs> what <laughs> no, do you this do? This is good.
0: I'm, I'm thinking. Still. I don't wisdom
1: on you every day. You wisdom glen. Mm. because we live in an environment that is a community and a church that is, has a center in the home. And there's like a lot of learning the straight talk of, This, hang on, wait, this doesn't seem like a good space for you to tell me this story. I would love to give you some attention here, or what, what do you want from me in this? And, oh, okay, what you need is that. Why don't we hold off until you can stay? When everyone's gone, we're doing dishes. Why don't you bring this back up?
0: Yeah, something, something along the lines of, I, I really want to be able to meet, meet you well in this, and I can't right now. Right? So at another time, another place is good. Um, I think the dilemma with what, what we're talking about though, is that, you know, if we're Christ followers, there is a reality to the fact that when we're called to bear one another's burdens, right? I, I've been thinking about that term a lot lately. I think there's a lot of metabolizing that goes on with that. We, we do metabolize and carry one another's burdens, um, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. But we've got to, in wisdom, create, like you're saying, Blaine, create spaces where that can happen in a way that the metabolizing doesn't crush us and is honoring for the other person so that they know um, they, that they're given something that invites them to explore for themselves and that you're not the source of that.
2: Totally. Okay. So a bit of a shift into kind of a glaring practicality for me. Okay. Um, Dan Ellender once told me you can't take anybody you haven't gone yourself. Um,
0: as far as far as you've gone. As far as you've gone. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and particularly in the realm of stories. And so that to me was like this uh, sort of mandate for exploring my own story and being Mm -hmm. willing to go into some of these things. If I'm going to explore or be honored by hearing someone else's, Mm -hmm. um, how, how practice were you at telling your own story and being aware of your own story? And, um, what (laughs) I feel like I know the answer to this, but was there like a magic point where you're like, ah, I know enough of my own story now that I can engage others. And I'm going to, I know I'm going to continue seeing new parts of my story for my whole life.
0: Yeah. I want to come at that from two different angles. Um, The first is that there's a real difference between telling your story and being intrigued and honoring your own story Hmm. within yourself. The first person that comes to my mind actually is Mary. right? If you think in terms of someone who had a big event in her life, that then you would imagine, you know, if you placed her in our culture today, the pull would be that somehow the maturity would be that she would find a way to tell the story of being seized by the Holy spirit of God and becoming pregnant. And she did not do any of that there, that phrase, she pondered these things in her heart. Mm -hmm. She held them in her heart. She watched her son go to the temple. There was still the sense of mystery, awe, wonder, um, even a sense of, I can't even believe that I'm living this or that I have lived this. She pondered, she wondered about it. I think there's something about that component that grounds all of this to the center of the earth, right? When you talk about in our culture, how it's almost like it's a badge of honor um, to be authentic and vulnerable. Um, oh, those two words. What's that? <laughs> those two words. Those two words are oh. so wearying at they this are. point, uh, and yet there, when we think of them in terms of being unveiled and true self and all of that, they're they're treasures. Um, but they've become in the in Christendom, I think they've become the thing of this generation, every generation has that one or those one or two things that are markers or measuring sticks of godliness, right? Or of you're a true Christian if, and the thing I love to come back to, and I, I know we, we talked about this in the and son's article a couple years ago, but that sense of in, in, Um, Galatians, when Paul was writing to the Galatian church, he was furious. He was livid because they were putting on people the heavy burden of some kind of proof. And at that time it was circumcision. So it was the sense of you're a follower of Christ plus circumcision, the love and the pursuit and the grace of God plus circumcision to prove that you're really in the game and it, I really think that these days, it's storytelling is, um, I would put in that category. It's a measuring stick. It, it can become a measuring stick that, am I, have I achieved a, a certain um, quality of being a storyteller or have I reached a certain level of vulnerability that then says I'm on the path to maturity, godliness, um, wholeness, healing... So you hear my tension. There, there's something about this. um, When Paul says it is neither circumcision nor nor uncircumcision that matters, it's faith expressing itself through love. It's neither telling your story with great authenticity or not telling your story. It's faith expressing itself through love. Okay. So the flip side, though, obviously, I spend my days. mining stories and mining my own story even more with more precision, Um, watching and learning as people uncover the subtext of their own stories. Um, The beauty of that I think is just very simple. It's um, what is it that we're doing with our stories that brings us out of hiding? That's the bottom line. Are we coming out of hiding? by telling our stories, or are we building our case for our own maturity by telling our stories?
2: That's so good. It's a really good question to be asking.
0: What are, as you watch
1: people, the kinds of things that motivate a person to come out of hiding?
0: That's where the person sitting across from them is the power and the face of God. I don't I wouldn't be motivated to come out of hiding, I don't think, if it wasn't for someone who loves me staring me down. Right? Someone coming and looking, Jan, where are you? Right? Where 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 have you snuck off into the bushes so that you don't show up today, right, to do a podcast? Where where did you go? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so it's it's someone else's eye searching us out right? Yes. Would you say that that's true?
2: Yes, I agree. I I love and hate sort of what was just said because I totally resonate with, I will come out of hiding when I know the person loves me and I know that they are calling me out. And I also have this now what I feel like the pressure is, is to be the face of God to someone. If I'm going to do it well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, the hate yeah, part yeah, yeah. it's like, Whoa, right, how do I right. do that perfectly? Yeah, exactly. Obviously it has to be perfect if I'm hearing someone's story.
0: No, that's so tr- That's so good.
2: So that's why I'm like, uh, uh, like it.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how we can, come back to the fact that we are, we are the face of God, right? You don't have to become the face of God. You are the face of God. So if you're sitting with a friend, you are the face of God to them. This isn't a a job assignment that then you show up to be the face of God. You are the face of God.
1: seems like a good time for an old Testament riff on that concept. Do you actually have a riff on that
2: concept? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Someone's Uh, been listening to the Bible project a lot. That's
1: What I tell all our audience to do instead (laughs) of listening to us. (laughs) You seem very comfortable with the profound mystery that a person can, by the Holy Spirit filling them and aligning their person with Jesus, like become so aligned with God that they actually become indistinguishable. And, but there's my favorite story of this is Moses on the banks of the Nile Uh, where there's an exchange between uh, him and Pharaoh, uh, where he goes, you know, Yahweh is telling you to let his people go. And then it goes, he raised his staff over his head, struck the water, and it turned to blood. But the way that the pronouns work in the progression of that sentence is it goes, Yahweh raised Yahweh's staff over his head and struck the water. And it just goes,
0: yes, he's
1: become so like, God has put him on and they are aligned to a degree that if you were a spectator, you would understand you were looking at God expressing himself through a person. And so that while simultaneously very mysterious and you are, you are the face of God to people and what? No. And go, Oh no, no. That's a wonderful thing.
0: It is an incredible thing. And I, yeah, I, don't, I don't think that we need to feel the pressure that somehow we have to be, have it perfectly embodied. Just the fact that we are created in the image of God. We're just created in the image of God. So by nature of just sitting here together, we bear the image of God. There, I think what you're referring to there is so profound in, like, what are you called to? Right? What are you meant to embody of the image of God, with particularity, in, in terms of who you are as a human being? You know, Moses showed God that way. Um, I, I would never in a million years. If I raised my staff, I would just look like, you know, someone needs to duck. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know. All right. <laughs>
2: So a couple of times you've used this, these words of wonder and curiosity yeah. in terms of your own story or other people's stories, mm-hmm. um, that seems to push back strongly against the posture of, well, that's just the way it was and yes. not ask the question, well, why? Um, so are there sets of questions or is it a, what's flash that more out for me? Like, how do we become more curious about mm-hmm. our own stories and about other people's stories.
0: Mm-hmm. See, this is my the, where the dilemma, I'm in a little bit of a bind as I come to this conversation because I'm, I'm calling to mind faces in a context that's a counseling office, which ought not necessarily be so different. It's a human being with a human being, um, but there's a different set of questions that I might ask there as opposed to what, might be going on in my heart just across the room with Steve, my husband, right? There's a common thread of, um, can you search a person's eyes? Can you search their eyes to see where they might look away, where they might be, um, have a tendency to look down? Again, the thing of God saying to Cain, why has your countenance fallen? Right? It's that, where are you going? Where'd you go? Um, you disappeared. Just a, just those gentle things of. It doesn't have to be a massive. You just left. Where'd you go? <laughs> but it, it's more a. I don't know if you just went away somewhere. Where did you go? It's just more curiosity about a person's presence. Do you feel like they're staying with you? Uh, in. In that moment, or are they venturing off somewhere else? And if they are, will you take me along with you, or to tell me where you just went? You know, just take me along with you because I don't want to leave you. So it's a presence, it's a person to person presence that you're just trying to maintain, or better said, you're aware of wanting to stay in.
2: This is also answering a different question I had. I was curious if there were phrases or postures that you'll hear that will be like flags for you of, Oh, uh Oh, wonder what's going on there. Yeah. I think you're answering it first with face and body posture and eyes, which I don't know why I skip. I like, I'm listening for the words. I'm like trying to read somebody like a book rather than as a human being. Yeah. So this is a helpful catch for me, even in the way that I would ask the question. Um, of course you like you have the, the face to go off of and how important that is and how much we give away actually how we're feeling and can't control that. Yeah. To become a student of a face is a really good thing. Is there, or are there still phrases or, or words that
0: oh. do give you red flags? Oh, absolutely. Um, anything that is packed with contempt. Um, but there are, they are phrases we toss around all the time, you know, or words like stupid, weird, um, the phrase, it is what it, it is, what it is. Um, the kind of the, the shrug. It's a, when you watch someone just kind of shrugging like, yeah, no big deal. Mm. It's the knock off, the tossing away of something that they just said where they might be sharing something and then the, then they're like, oh, well, anyway, it's just yeah. the hands raised that you just kind of shrug it off. Um, those actually are packed with contempt. And as we have talked about in these circles forever, you know, when, when there's contempt, there's shame. So you're just trying to track a person's shame. Um, but you can't do that unless you've been tracking your own right? From the moment you woke up this morning, how many times have you found yourself just wanting to toss away the thing that you're actually trying to say? Oh, I'm going
2: to answer that question. Yeah, Probably a dozen so far. It's 10, 40 in the morning.
0: Exactly. Me too. So those kind of phrases though.
2: Okay. It's so helpful. And I like, I'm building like the map in my mind and it's this If the conversation is, is the map, it's curiosity and it's being aware of these things, acknowledging that I am bringing God, whether I feel particularly aligned with him at that moment or not. So take the pressure off.
0: Exactly.
2: And then there's a mysterious journey that's going to unfold that you have very little control over, but you can join in on. Yes. This is an unfair question and I have to ask it. Okay. What is your measure of success for the conversation what, what is, what do you feel like, have you, what have you learned is an okay landing place?
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I like the term measuring stick, but I, oh, yeah. I definitely, definitely know that when I walk away from an interaction, I, um, I search my heart as to whether it feels well within me, how it went. And probably... I would say, no, it didn't go well if um, it wasn't mutual, if there wasn't an exchange, uh, a mutual exchange. So there wasn't a posture of I'm the one pursuing only um, if I didn't maintain a posture of wanting to really learn from that person. Like, what, what do you have to teach me today? I, I'm not here to teach you. I might have some things to offer, but what what are you? What can I actually be a student of from your life and this interaction? And so, I think what we're talking about is the measurement would probably be just a really deep sense of reverence for the other person's life, and um, so I think we're talking about humility. Because whenever we venture away from that, it becomes a posture of, I'm, you know, that whole thing of I'm going to mentor you. What does that mean? What does it mean? <laughs> yeah,
2: no, That's a whole it, other it, conversation. It, well, it is. And yeah. it's a really
0: important one because talk about the epitome of arrogance on some level, right? And yet there is a sense that you learn some things on the road. You want to turn around and say, hey, you might want to watch out for that stuff on the road, but can we also look at the person and say, um, what have you been thinking about as we, you've been walking on this road? I want to know what you've been learning. I want to know, I just want to know who you are and what you have to bring.
2: That's really, really good. And I, I use the term measuring stick, knowing that it's, it's, it is wrong, but it feels like the thing that maybe the enemy uses against me after a conversation. Yeah. It it feels harsh. It feels like just, it gets me back too much in my own head and back too much into performance and this thing.
0: But I also hear your heart in it. You want to know your heart wants to know that you served that person. Well, right. Right. Your heart says, I want to know that I showed up.
2: Yeah. I don't want to just come in guns blazing and walk out guns blazing and hope that somebody's going to patch up the bullet holes. Like, right. Uh, there is that question of when you leave a conversation and you feel that like settled, I saw them, they saw me. Yeah. That feels amazing. It feels, is
0: amazing.
2: That's really good. And yeah. I wish it happened more frequently. Like, and I want to know the secrets to having that experience <laughs> more frequently.
0: <laughs> I know me. Well, me too. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I think that whole, the that Greek, um, the term for knowing the gnosis, you know, that sense of it having an always ever expanding. You never truly know somebody, you know, that we know the heart of God as a spouse in that spousal relationship. And yet that, that's that sense of, do you guys know your wives? you know, your wives and you really know your wives and then you have no idea about your wives. And when you're 65, you'll be going, Oh, right. Now I see you a little more clearly. And so I think what we're doing in this conversation is we're just pushing the boundary lines way. We're, we're just pushing, making tons of space again for the exploration. Right. I often come back in my thinking to, um, the difference between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is very binary. It's instructive. It's black and white. It's things you can master. It's heavy. When we're talking to somebody about their story, when we're, in a sense, when we're ourselves participating or eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we presume we have to know. We presume we will know what that person needs. We presume that somehow it's, um, it's up to us. And in the tree of life, there's just a lot of spacious, lighthearted wonder. It's playful. I think that God was really, really playful with Adam when he, when he came and said, where are you? Right. There, there, there was earnest. It was intentional. And it was also like the most obvious question in the room. And he asked it with a wink in, in his eye. Right. So I'm just musing now. But what other questions? No, do that's you have? good. <laughs> I'd love to
1: ask a bit about hope. Yeah. And your life and work have to do with engaging people's stories, watching them engage their own heart. What are the things in that, that have affirmed hope in you Mm -hmm. or what has contributed to like the growth of the theme of hope as a theme to you?
0: Okay. Wow. Well, (laughs) I don't know why this is today, but the first thing that comes to my mind is exposure to other cultures. Hope is a very, very uh, complicated subject, isn't it? <laughs> it can be, because we, we can be talking about what did I come into the world as a little girl hoping for? Um, it, there are so many really core parts of my heart that from the time I was born just longed to be a mother. That's all I ever wanted to be was a mother. And I sit with you today um, having never born children, but a mother every single day, right? I just rattled off that sentence. And that sentence has been a lifetime of engaging hope, hoping that I would be a mother, hoping again that I would be a mother, hoping again that I would be a mother a fierce determination to not let my heart die in that realm. And then finding that my heart literally was gasping for breath in that realm because I never, it never came to fruition. Um, And in honestly, in a community, a broader community that I'm a part of that because it didn't come to fruition, there was almost even something suspect, right? Like, Mm Oh, so you didn't hope enough. You didn't live in your desire enough. Right. Which completely negates what the essence of, um, if I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings, um, that realm of motherhood for me is both. It's the fellowship is of his sufferings in the very thing that I hope for. I died with Jesus in that realm. I died with him. A thousand deaths. I still do. Um, and yet, I love that I can sit here with you today. I do. I really love it. Like literally love it. That I, I know that I bring mothering every single moment of every single day. So, I'm trying to take the word hope out of the abstract, right? Cuz it can sound so like positivity, positive thinking. Mm-hmm. And and hope is really brass tacks. It's, you know, for it it's I hope that this particular person says yes when I ask them to go out to coffee with me. Right? That that hope that If I get up the courage to say, would you like to go for a bike ride with me today? I hope upon hope that they actually say yes. Right. Um, That that is something that we have to we have to engage in that process. We have to risk and risk and risk and risk again. So
1: (laughs) I want to return to your word um, negate. Negate. that was the expansion of hope that you're talking about here uh, is pretty amazing. In that, like, what it what I hear is you going, "Yes, hope is for concrete things," and yet the thing that cultivates that keeps hope alive is not what happens in outcome after outcome. It's that you actually know. Jesus, know what the suffering of Jesus is and the fact that he comes in to your suffering. Right. And that there's some, and know the resurrection of Jesus and that in spite of some outcome, like his life is being born in you. Right. And that there's this attention in, yes, it is in particular things, particular outcomes, the ways that I would like today to go, the ways that I would like my interactions with people to go. And what happens in them is not the thing that keeps hope alive or not. Mm -hmm. But it's actually that in hoping and hopes coming true and hoping and hopes failing, you actually get drawn in to what Jesus has done and is doing in a way that brings life to your heart. That if you don't pay attention to the fact that it's sharing... In the life of Jesus. Yep. That's where that word negate come in, where you just go, you don't get where it's going to actually be born.
0: Exactly. Our engagement and hope just cracks our heart open over and over again. It just makes room. It it makes room for both death and resurrection. One place of living out and tasting more of what hope draws us to is on the day to day. But then exposure to other cultures, I think, for me, to get a taste of how whole communities of people cry out for a particular kind of deliverance, right, culturally. Or just the exposure that I've had to girls that have been exploited Um in in various cultural contexts, there's just a sense of when we expose ourselves to other people's experiences, it does a good job of leveling the playing field where we realize that we're all just literally crying out for the day, right? The day, bring the day Mm -hmm. when when all of this is going to be you know, not, not just all this will be over, but when we finally get to step into who we're actually supposed to be with each other and for each other, and in that world where there's symphonies of frogs and right like um, perfect, perfect love that has literally cast out all fear. I I just think there is something really important about exposing ourselves to any other person's point of view. Break out of your own community. Um, break out of your own small groups mindset worldview. Go ask questions. Um, expose yourself because it it'll it'll actually, we, we tend to think, Oh my gosh, I've got to really be protective of my own worldview. And Jesus is going, please break out of it. Cause you're going to find me there. You're going to find me even deeper in this sense of communal, the communal sense of the earth is crying out for the day when we'll be restored.